Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. opportunity to grow together, God. Thank you that you knew each and every one of us would be in this room, God, before the foundations of the earth. God, you know exactly what we need to take from today. You know the relationships we need to connect with. You know the word we need to hear, God. So I pray today that you would speak to your children. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. Let us see you clearly. Let us hear your voice. Let us leave here changed and transformed. God, we don't want a good church service. We want a God service that changes us from the inside out that leaves us, lets us leave here differently than we walked in, God. Be with us today. Let us leave here closer to you and closer to each other, I pray. In Jesus' powerful name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Well, last week we were in John 1, and we talked about what the Word was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we talked about how Jesus put on human flesh, stepped down into eternity as God had, uh, had commanded, and then he became the Word in flesh. We looked through that, and now we're in John 2. John 2 this morning, chapter 2, verse 13, and we're going to jump in a little bit to one of the most probably known stories about Jesus in Scripture. Surely you've heard this story many times, but I believe God has something for us in it this morning. John 2, 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you this authority to do so, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? they exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? When Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both Scripture and what Jesus had said. Isn't it, how many know it's easy to believe on the back end? <laughs> It's like really, the Bible says, blessed are those who believe when they haven't seen. Anyone can believe once they've seen. Blessed is he who believes when he hasn't seen. Seen him open eyes. Now after he raised from the dead, oh, I think actually he was onto something there. I think he might have been who he said he was. That's what it was that made them say it. It's unbelievable. Jesus, you see here a moment of frustration and aggravation in Jesus. What is it that made Jesus want to jump up and flip over tables and make a whip? You know to make a whip, you got to be like slow mad. You know what slow mad is, right? You, you, if you've been beaten as a child, you know what slow mad is. That's where your parents sit in the corner and like, like just weave the, wel- the belt together. You know, like, mm-hmm, keep going. That's all right. That's all right. Jesus sat there and made a whip. You know how long that took him? He's just getting mad. Uh-huh. I'm watching you, baby. This whip's for you. <laughs> hey, Jesus sits there for a while, makes this whip, and then after he makes it, he flips over. He gets it out, and he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Other translations, a den of thieves. What is it that Jesus was so upset about in this thing? Was it that they were selling doves and stuff there? No, that had happened forever. If you know how Jewish culture works and how this works, people would sin 
Remember, until Jesus came, you had to go and make a sacrifice for your sin every time you sinned. So you would go up to the temple. They'd say, what kind of sin are you here to sacrifice for? And you go, here's what I did. And they go, oh, that's, that's a sheep sin. Here you go. You get a sheep. What would you do? Uh, just a little thing. Okay, well, you get a dove sin. Okay. And then they'd take their animals and they'd go and they'd sacrifice it. And once they sacrificed it, the blood cleansed the sin. And now they left and they were right with God. So that had been taking place for a long time. It wasn't that that was what threw off Jesus. What was it that made Jesus so mad? Jesus loved the temple. One of the first times we see Jesus, a story about Jesus, in the temple. They're there for Passover. His parents leave. They can't find Jesus. You know the story. And they go back and Jesus says, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Didn't you know where I was going to be? The place I love, my home. The, the home that God had built for himself was the temple. And the temple itself is a process. How many of you know processes produce outcome? But, but if your process doesn't produce the outcome that you want, then it's tainted. Your process doesn't work you got to change your process up some. I was in California this last week, and I drove through an In-N-Out. And let me just say this. In-N-Out in California is way better than In-N-Out in Texas. So I don't know what they do differently here, but it is way better there than it is here. So I'm driving through, and if you've ever been in In-N-Out, they have kind of like all the windows where you can watch. They have like an assembly line. If you've ever seen it, it's amazing. they got one guy that's just like the onion guy, and all he does is sit there and chop onions. Just You watch him. And honestly, I appreciate watching them make my food. You know what I mean? It's 2023. I don't know what's going on back there. I want to see you make my food. So they're back there chopping the onions, and then there's one girl, and she's like the, the pickle girl, and she's just like putting pickles on every sandwich. Hey, pickles on sandwich. Then you go to the next one, there's like a lettuce guy, and he's just like doing lettuce, and like he looked like he had some of the devil's lettuce. He was just standing there like this. And then, then you get to the end, and someone puts a burger on there, and then, you know, finally you get it. But if for some reason one of them doesn't do their jobs, I mean, you know, you don't get the double-double animal style that you ordered. You get something different. If the onion guy doesn't do his job, then when you get the burger, there's no onions. And if you love onions, you'd be disappointed. If the process doesn't produce the result that you desire, the process is broken. And what Jesus was so upset about in watching this is that he was watching a broken process take place in front of him. It was a process God himself instituted, and that's why he knew it was broken. And I want to show you what that process was today. It was the plan of the tabernacle. How many of you know when the children of Israel left Egypt there in the desert, they have to have some place to worship God? So they have an Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God lived. Indiana Jones has been trying to find it for a long time. Maybe you saw that movie. They have the gold thing. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant is where the physical presence of God resided. He himself came and put his presence inside of this gold box, and it was put in the holiest place in the temple, the Holy of Holies. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant were a few things. There was Aaron's rod that budded. That's how they knew he was going to lead Israel after Moses. It had both sets of Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that God made and that Moses got aggravated and broke when he saw the sin of the people. Then the second Ten Commandments that he gave him to replace them. And it has a jar of manna which God rained down for provision for the children of Israel as they went through the desert. All of that was in there and that was put into the holiest place of the temple. Once they were able to build a temple, how many of you know who built the temple? Anybody know? 
Solomon, Solomon built the temple. David wanted to. David said, God, I want to build your house. And God said, David, you've killed too many people. (laughs) That's what he said. You've shed too much blood to build my house. So Solomon will build my house. Solomon builds this exquisite temple. You can still go today to Israel and see the ruins. It's unbelievable. It was one of the greatest marvels of that time. And in there, they build, let's put this picture up, they build this. And this is the plan of the tabernacle. This is God's plan. Let me just tell you this. People didn't make this up. If you go and read when God gives this to them, God speaks to them and goes, make it this wide, make it this deep, put this here, put this there, do this here, do this that way. And it's very specific with everything he asks for. So I want to explain to you God's process real quickly this morning before I tell you why Jesus was upset with the process. First, you got the outer court. How many of you ever heard you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? You ever hear that? Just oh, This is what they're talking about. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. They would get there and they were glad. Thank you, God, that I get to be here. Thank you that you love Israel. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you're with us, God. They were so glad they got to go and be with the person who fought their battles, the person who was providing for them, the person who established them. So they would get in there, and then the first thing they'd come to is this altar of burnt offerings. That's what we just talked about. There's sin in your life. What sin? Sheep sin. Okay, here. And you offer it. You offer your offerings, and now your sin is forgiven. You could go on. Next is the laver. And the laver is a big bowl where people would wash after they repented for their sins. Then they would wash themselves before they would go in the presence of God. When they would look over this whole, this huge bowl, it was designed to be like a mirror almost. So that when you looked in to wash yourself, you would daily be reminded of your own humanity. Your own frailty. God, I see me and I'm flawed. God, I see me and I'm not enough in my own right. God, I see me and I've got weaknesses and failures. God, I see me, and I know I'm about to stand before a holy God, but I see me, and I'm flawed. And they would wash with the water. God, wash away the areas of me that don't look like you. God, cleanse the parts of me that aren't like you. This is where they would wash off what they had carried in the labor, and they washed to be reminded of their humanity, to be cleansed from it. Then they would get to this lampstand. They'd go into the holy place, and they'd get to the lampstand. You know what the lampstand represents? It represents the same thing throughout all of Scripture. So if you learn it once, you learn it every time. Anybody? Holy Spirit. It represents the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. They would go in there, and the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart. It was a light to shine. You know what that means? The Spirit of God is capable of showing you things inside of you that you don't see. That when you get with him and go, God, what inside of me is there? He, you be sitting there and he'll bring up a memory of something you said two weeks ago to somebody that you shouldn't have said. And you go, oh shoot, where'd that come from? I forgot about that. Maybe that's why they've been acting weird towards me. I need to apologize. Oh my gosh. The Holy Spirit illuminates things inside of you that you can't see on your own. They get to this lampstand and they would be reminded that the Holy Spirit, I need him daily to do what God created me to do. I can't see clearly if I don't have him with me. I don't know what I need to do if he's not illuminating my path. I need to be filled daily by the Holy Spirit. Then they would get to the table of showbread. table of showbread was actually a table that had bread on it. And this bread was there to remind them of the sustenance of God's word to their life. How many of you ever grew up and your mom made bread, fresh bread? Oh my goodness, y'all missed out. My mom would make fresh bread growing up. In about sixth grade to... 
like ninth grade, she got on a bread-making kick. And I would wake up in the morning, and you could smell the whole house would be full of cinnamon raisin bread. It was the greatest smell ever. You just, oh, God, it's going to be a good day today. Cinnamon raisin bread. Jump out of bed. I have tried to recreate that cinnamon raisin bread for 36 years. Alex has been very patient with me as we've gone through 14 bread makers and a lot of yeast, okay? And I've yet to get it. Every time I do it, she's like, why are you buying another bread maker? We just throw these away in six months after you can't figure out how to make that demonic cinnamon raisin bread. Please, Jesus, give it back. Hey, I love that smell. You wake up. This is what would happen to them. They would walk into the presence of God, and they'd get before the showbread, and they would smell, the word of God is good to my soul. That's what they would remind of, that the word of God is sustenance to me. How many of you know your spirit is a tank just like your body? And if you don't feed your spirit, just like if you don't feed your body, you will die. You will wither away. You will get skinny, 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 skinny. And a lot of us haven't fed our spirit, and so it feels spiritually dead on the inside. This is what would happen. They'd get there and be reminded, my spirit needs to feed on the word of God. The word of God is good to my spirit, like honey to my mouth, like, like sweetness to my soul, Scripture says. They would be reminded, man, I need God's word in my life to do what he created me to do. I can't do what I need to do on my own. I need the word of God inside of me. It is my sustenance. They would remind themselves that they needed the word of God every day. Then they would get to the altar of incense. When we first started the church, we sang this song, and we stopped singing it because people didn't know what it meant, and it was kind of confusing. But there's a line in there that would say, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And people would always ask me. Like, we started, and it was like a bunch of lost people. We didn't have any really, like, I don't know if we had a lot of, like, Christian Christians. They'd be like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't know, why are we burning incense for God? This is where that comes from. It's the altar of incense. And the reason it's called that is because Scripture says that our praise is like incense to God. So when you get before God and you begin to praise him, God, I'm so grateful for you. God, you're amazing. God, thank you for sparing me from myself. Thank you for saving me from my foolishness. God, thank you for protecting me my whole life. That's like incense that's going up to heaven. And God goes, oh, I love when they worship me. Oh, I love when they praise me. Oh, I love when they remind themselves that I'm their protector and provider. You know, God is a jealous God. I had somebody ask me the other day, you don't mind serving a jealous God? No, I'm a jealous husband. I'm a jealous daddy. I like having a jealous God. I don't want other people taking care of my wife or my kids. I mean, you know, God feels the same way. He wants to protect you, provide for you, and care for you. <laughs> the altar of incense where they would worship God and remind themselves that it's God alone who provided for them. And then they'd get to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the, presence, the place where the presence of God actually dwelt. And once a year, they would send one priest in there. Here's how they decided. Every year, all the high priests would get together, and they would draw straws. And if you drew the short stick, you had to go and make the sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel in the Holy of Holies, the holiest part of the whole temple. Only once a year would someone go in there, and when they did, they would tie a string of bells to their ankle. Because if they had any sin in their life when they went in there, they would immediately fall dead before the presence of God and would have to be pulled out by a rope. I guess they figured that out after their first guy. <laughs> like, the next one they sent in, they were like, just grab him on the way out. He'd been in there a while. <laughs> so they would send somebody in, and, and they had to be totally clean of sin before they could go into the presence of God. 
How many of you know you'd want a little vacation before you did that job? You would go up to the mountains for a little while. Just get alone with Jesus for a little bit. And then you go in, and the result would be the presence of God, a sacrifice that covered the entire nation of Israel. So this is the process that God himself set up. So why is Jesus so upset about this process? Why is Jesus sitting here watching it take place and getting aggravated? Can I tell you why today? Jesus was frustrated not with the transactions, but because they were transactional. Jesus was frustrated not with what they were doing, but that they had gone to duty more than deity. Their their hearts had become obligation to God instead of ownership from God. And all of us today can make that same mistake. The reason Jesus was so upset is because as he's standing there watching this, he's realizing people are obligatorily worshiping God. They're stopping at the altar of burnt offerings. They're coming in like we do many times and going, God, I'm so sorry for everything I did this week, and I need you to forgive me. Thank you. And leaving and going right back out, but they're not changed at all. This is why Jesus is upset. He's watching the process not produce the results. And when you shortcut the process of God's plan, you know what you get? Religion. You get religion. You get church with no power. You get obligation with no ownership of Jesus in your life. And then you end up living a miserable life, going to the altar of incense, but never leaving with any power or any sustenance for your life. This is what Jesus was upset about. Jesus realized that if you stop at the altar of burnt offerings, you never get to the laver and see your humanity for what it is. If you stop at the altar of burnt offerings, you never get to the lampstand and get the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give you to live a life only He can empower you to live. This is the crux of Christianity that people go, well, I tried it and it didn't change my life. Yeah, because you stopped at the altar of burnt offerings. And heart change happens in the holy place. God does not change hearts in the outer courts. He changes it in the holy place. He changes it in the interactions between you and God once you've seen your humanity, once you realize only He can provide for you, and once you've relied fully on Him, He shows up and goes, now I can transform your heart because you see you clearly. He never designed them to stop at the outer court. Jesus was upset because the process was being stunted. Their hearts had turned from honor to obligation. Their love for God became transactional. The order of importance on these things was lost. Now, instead of worshiping a deity, it became duty to just go show up and make your sacrifice. Why did Jesus flip the money changers' tables? This is actually interesting. Jesus goes to flip the money changers' tables, and this is important. Because Jesus says something in Scripture. that It's unbelievable. Do we have that verse? 12.1. Can we put that one up? Romans 12.1, I believe. Okay. No, no, sorry. The other one. Yes. 624, 624, 624, sorry, there it is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, this is in English, but let me just give you what the Greek says in this. There's only one time in the entire Bible that God speaking himself calls anything else a capital G God. So every time the Spirit of God writes in the Bible and references any other God, it's a little g. So just like, oh, that's a God of this world. Like they worshiped a wooden stick, okay? That was their God, little g God. The only time that God ever uses a singular monotheistic term for another God in the entire Scripture is right here when he references money. 
And you know what he sang? Money is the only thing on this earth that if you let it can replace what God designed him to do for you. If you think I can be my provider, then you miss out on him being your provider. If you think it's on you to care for yourself, then you miss out on him caring for you. And let me just tell you this. It's much better when God cares for you than when you care for yourself. It's always better than when you care for yourself. Jesus realized that people had their priorities wrong. They had the process wrong. They were going there for the wrong things with the wrong motive, with the wrong end goal in mind. They were going for duty, and the end goal in mind was leave having done my duty. And God goes, that's never what I intended this process to be. I intended you to come here broken and leave whole. I intended you to come here dirty and leave clean. I intended you to come here needy and leave full. I intended the house of God to be something that changes and transforms you, not sends you back out looking the same way you came in. You know what Jesus knew? He knew that true fulfillment is not found in the outer court. It's found in deep intimacy with God. It's found in deep intimacy with God. Can I be honest with you? Today, we're sitting in the outer court. That's what Sunday service is. Sunday service is the outer court, and this is awesome. But if this is all you give your spirit, you will have obligation and not honor on the inside. There's more. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, God wants to meet you in the holy place. Tomorrow when it's tough and difficult and you don't know how you're going to get through the day, God wants to see you at the table of showbread feeding yourself so that you have sustenance to go on. When you don't know what to do and decisions to make, God wants to see you before the lampstand going, Holy Spirit, help me and guide me and lead me because I don't see clearly what you need me to do. God has more for us than just the outer courts. He has a new covenant for us, and that's what we saw Jesus do. Hebrews 8 But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and soon will disappear. All of what you saw with the temple was the old covenant. Then there's a moment where Jesus comes. He dies on the cross, and when he does, the veil that separated, the, can we put the picture back up? The veil that separated the Holy of Holies right there, the altar of incense, there was a giant veil about 40 feet high, super thick, that immediately was ripped in half by the presence of God. And now the Spirit of God was living and active on the earth again for the first time since Adam and Eve sinned. The presence of God now resides on the earth. Now the presence of God is not living in the holy of holies in the temple. Do you know where he resides? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You know what God's after? He's not after obligation. He's after ownership of your life. He's after ownership. He wants to make your decisions. He wants to walk through the difficult moments with you. He wants to guide you and direct you. He wants to show you his way. Because if you're not aware of this, he knows a little bit more than you and me. He sees further down the road than you and me. Scripture says his thoughts aren't like our thoughts. They're higher than our thoughts. How many of you know you can trust a God who has higher thoughts than your thoughts? He's not thinking the same things. He doesn't see the same things. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
who lives in you and was given to you by God and you do not belong to yourself. Hey, you are the temple of God. I have a question for you today. If Jesus came into your temple, what would disappoint him today? If he was to walk into the temple of your heart, what areas of your life would he see? The priorities are out of place. The process has been abused and misused. And that the outcome is stop producing the results that you desire. If that's you today, the solution is simple as I close. Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. What does Jesus want from us? He wants all of us. He wants all of us. He wants our heart. He wants our mind. He wants our decisions. He wants our body. He wants our future. He wants our past. He wants our mistakes. He wants our wins. He wants our failures. He wants all of us. This is truly the way to worship him. I was sitting here writing this message this week, and I thought, God, surely you get aggravated with us because we do the same thing so many times. God, we go to the altar of incense and go, God, forgive me for this, and I'm so sorry, and we leave without ever being changed or transformed. We walk away without ever seeing our own frailty and realizing in my own strength I am not enough to do what I need to do. I can't be the husband to her that I need to be without the presence of God in my life. I can't be the daddy I need to be to my three children without the Spirit of God inside of me every day. It's not hard. Listen to me. It's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. You doing your best will never meet up to that mark. It's why God created a process that fills us with something greater than us and empowers us to do something greater than we could do in our own strength. As I was thinking that, I just thought, Jesus, forgive us for so many times doing the same thing. And he said, keep reading. And I said, what do you mean? And I just read the next verse after this, and here's what it says, John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem with the Passover feast, many believed in his name, identifying themselves with him. You hear this? 85% of people in America say that they're Christians today. 85%. Eight out of ten people that you meet out there. Is that your experience? It's not my experience. A lot of people identify themselves with him after seeing his signs, attesting miracles, which he was doing. But Jesus, for his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and understood the superficiality and fickleness of human nature. And he did not need anyone to testify concerning man and human nature. For he himself knew what was in man, in their hearts, in the very core of their being. How many of you know that same Jesus today knows what's in the core of your being? He knows if it's your heart, if it's honor or obligation. He knows if it's transactional or if it's honoring. He knows if he has true ownership over you or if you're just identifying with him. God's design for our lives was never that it would stop at the altar of incense, but that we would go deep into the presence of God. Because if I can be honest with you today, the change that takes place in your life that you're after 
only, 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 only takes place in the Holy of Holies. That's it. This is good. This is encouraging. I hope you take something from here. I'm not going to change your heart today. God can change your heart, though, in a moment. I'm not going to give you a whole new purpose in life. But if you get in your closet with God tomorrow and go, God, I'm here. Please speak to me. I need you. I see myself. And I know I can't do it on my own. I need you, God, that he most certainly will show up and speak to you. And he will guide you. And he will lead you. And he will direct you when you allow him to have ownership. And the first great test of every person's life as a believer is God going to have ownership of my life. Is it my life or his life? Does he make decisions or do I make decisions? And so many times when I'm driving that car in my own life and want to go places, I'm, I'm reminded of, I don't see it all clearly. I was sitting the other day, don't tell any police officers this, but we were driving me and Eli home, and we just live about a mile and a half from here, and he goes, can I drive? It's like 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, what could happen? So, like, sure, just sit on my lap. So, we're driving down the road, and Eli can't really see over the wheel fully, you know? So I'm kind of driving with him, and he's driving, and we're doing this, like, tandem brake, pedal, gas thing, just making sure... And as we're going down the road, and, and I'm just kind of like making sure he's not messing with the guy. I think we turn here. And I go, no, 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 we don't turn here. No, I, I think we turn here. No, Eli, we don't turn here. How do you know? Because you can't see above the wheel, Eli. <laughs> okay. Because you're judging off of this perspective. And Daddy's judging off of this perspective. And there's some things you don't see clearly. You know what happens in our life when we don't go to the Holy of Holies? We make decisions like this. God, I see things. No, you don't. God, I feel like down here it looks better if I go this way. No, it's not. But if you have ownership of your life and not him, you'll always drive that car where you want to go, not where he wants to go. I encourage you, give him ownership today because it's in the ownership of your life that you find the breakthrough of your spirit. It's in the ownership of your life that you find the purpose that he planned you to do your entire life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, thank you today for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, thank you truly that you didn't just die to leave us here to struggle in our own sins, but you created a process to set us free and to empower us with purpose that comes only from you, God. God, we can't do it on our own. Forgive us for stopping at the altar of incense many times in our life, God. For coming to you for forgiveness, but never going deeper into the process and plans you have for us never pursuing more, God, even though it's there for us. God, you never make any of us take that journey, but you draw us in and invite us in every single day. God, today I pray that you would draw us close to you. God, I pray that we wouldn't stop at the altar, but that there would be moments in front of the labor that we would see our humanity, God, and we'd get in front of the lampstand and encounter the Holy Spirit, and we'd eat from your word and get sustenance that comes only from you. God, we need you. Today, God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we've chosen other things to provide for us over you. God, we've put our heart and our hope on other things instead of you. And today, we reset those on you, God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here today and say, Christian, that sounds great, man, but to be honest, I've never encountered a relationship with Jesus. I've encountered church or I've experienced religion, but I've never encountered a genuine relationship with the creator of the universe not based off of if I could perform for him or be good enough, simply based off of his sacrifice on the cross for me and my need for him. 
If that's you today and you say, Christian, I, I want to start that journey. I'm not going to ask you to come up here and do anything crazy. I simply want to pray for you right where you're at. But if that's you and you say, Christian, would you include me in that prayer? Would you just slip your hand up this morning so I can pray with you? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. And at Valley Rise, we all pray this together. So you can pray it out loud. You can say it under your breath. You can pray it in your heart. As long as you mean it is what we ask. Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, today I recognize my need for you. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. You came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, a life I never could have lived, but you did it so that I wouldn't have to. Then, Jesus, I believe you went to the cross to pay for my sin bill so that I wouldn't have to. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your gift. And then on the third day, I believe you rose from the grave, Jesus, to give me new life, hope, and freedom. Today, Jesus, I choose you. I choose to love you, choose to serve you, choose to seek you all the days of my life. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen. Would you give a hand to those who just made the greatest decision in their lives? Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message and we'll see you soon.